He said, you're asking why, and I'm telling you why. You're being trained for something he's going to give to you that you could not handle had he not trained you. So I, I started praying, and, and just every time the doors are open at church, I'm, I'm there, and I, I just got so much into the Lord, and my life changed. I have changed. And some things have started happening now. A few weeks back, um, a couple of ladies showed up at our church. They met with Pastor, and the story they told was they were at a convention, and one of the ladies said, I can't go home the way we came. I must go down Highway 13. Don't know why, but the Lord's telling me to go down Highway 13. So they went down Highway 13, and she said, well, why are we going down Highway 13? She says, we've got to go to a town called Clinton. She said, do you know where it is? And they got a map out, and they found Clinton. They drove to the town, and when they got there, she says, I have to go to that church. They came into our church and met with pastor and said, a revival is coming to your church. The Lord sent me to tell you. It is coming. It's coming soon, and you must prepare your hearts for it. It's going to take over the whole town. People are going to come from far away and take it back with them. There's going to be manifestations, healings, and souls saved, and you're going to see it. I've been praying for that ever since I heard that. The first time I started heard those words and I started praying about it, the Lord touched me. And every time I talk about it and think about it, the Lord touches me. And guess what? It started a week ago. And I was sitting in church and I noticed it was full and I was all these strange faces there and I... Lord, let this be your start. And he touched me, and it was the start. A cancer patient that I've never met on her deathbed up in Beaver, Utah. I, I was asked to pray and put her on the prayer chain. I think Linda put her on the prayer chain here, too. And she's, we've been praying for her across the country. She's up walking around the streets. She was dead. She had brain cancer and cancer throughout her body. She's walking the streets. When... When I started praying, the Lord touched my heart about this, about the revival. I saw, I had a vision. And the vision was this crippled gal that I know getting out of her wheelchair and walking. I have a buddy who lives from, in a near, uh, an apartment in the same building I'm in, who's also from North Carolina, same situation I'm in. His family's here and he's there and he and I pal around together. I told him about my vision and the gal in the wheelchair. I pointed her out to him. Well, the other night, Friday night, we had a concert. And I went there, and here was the gal in the wheelchair going into the concert. And she was talking to one of the people from my church, and when she started to wheel away, I said, you know, I had a vision of seeing that lady walk. She says, wait a minute, come here, come here. She says, tell him. And she came towards me. I felt the Lord just, whoop, hit me all of a sudden. She got to me, and she said, I started having feeling in my legs the other day. She's never had feeling in her legs. She's never walked. She doesn't have a sheath on her spine. She has no feeling. She, she started to have feeling in her legs the other day. She got some attendants to come in. They helped her up, and she walked. She started walking. And i got to tell you, it's coming. I've been praying for it to come here, too. Because I think the Lord's, the Lord's touching my heart that, that I'm to come back here. He won't let my house sell, so he must want me back here. But I just, I, I had to share this with you, and, and something just wonderful is going on there. And, and bless you all. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> Maybe the reason you're supposed to come back here is bring a revival here. 
So we're looking for the Lord to bring a revival. Amen. Lord, we ask you this morning, I thank you for that testimony of healing that lady with cancer and raising this woman up, Lord. We thank you. And Lord, we, uh, we want to see those things happen in Morrisville, in Iredale County, in North Carolina, Lord. This is where you've put us, Lord. That's what we want to say, so we ask you for your revival to come, which you said it was going to come, Lord. You're going to release your glory, Lord. And we want to be right there with you. So help us, Lord, to be right there with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. okay, the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. And <clears throat> I want to talk to you about, you know, this is Labor Day weekend. Is that right? And the Lord actually gave me a message, which I didn't really realize about Labor Day, about it being Labor Day. And this is something I feel like God wants to do this morning. I'm really serious about this. I feel like God wants to wash us this morning. I feel like there's something that got on us that God wants to wash off in us. And... I felt, um, back this past spring, I felt in my spirit, I guess, fatigue. That's what I felt. I felt, you know, and I was, felt it in terms of the church. I felt like the church, we were spiritually tired. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really understand that. And I just basically did this. I thought, well, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just spiritually tired. Uh, and then I thought, um, I thought, well, maybe, you know, summer's coming up. People need to take vacations and, you know, that kind of stuff will help. You know, just, you know, just dial down this summer and uh, that's better, Dan. That kind of thing. Thinking that that would solve the problem. Um, but really and truly, if it's a spiritual problem, uh, you could take a year's vacation and it not really help you. Uh, and I really discovered that. So really what I think God wants to do this morning is He wants to wash off in us things that make us spiritually tired. That's what He wants to do. He wants to bathe us and cleanse us so we won't be fatigued spiritually. Has anybody here experienced spiritual fatigue? And, and, and I'm going to tell you, that drives you away from the Lord. It drives you away from the Lord. I'm convinced of that. So I, I feel like the Lord wants to speak to us this morning about that. And, and, and I think He wants to wash it out of our church, wash it off in your life, and tell us how to, to keep from getting in that state. Because there's, a, there's, a there's some clear stuff in the Bible, I think, that addresses spiritual fatigue. So that's really what I feel like the Lord wants me to talk to you about this morning. I feel like He really gave it to me. He wasn't really... Something I was looking for. So I want you to open your Bibles. Is everybody with me? To say at Corinthians 8. And this particular verse, a couple of verses I'm going to read, 8, 10 through 12, is in the context of giving finances. That's the context. So I'm not, but I'm not talking about giving finances here. I'm talking, there's a spiritual principle in here that I think would help us um, in this arena. So, My bottle was wet. 
And I'm going to read this verse, and I'm not going to use my New King James Version. I'm going to use a version called God's Word Translation. It's a really good. And the reason I'm doing it, I just feel like the way he says it, it's so much easier to grasp what Paul's trying to say here. So just read along with me in your version. This is it, Second uh, Corinthians 8, verse 10 through 12. He says, I'm giving you my, my opinion because it will be helpful to you. Last year, you were not only willing to take a collection, but had already started to do it. So finish what you begin to do. Then your willingness will be matched by what you accomplish. With whatever contributions you have, since you're willing to do this, remember that people are accepted if they give what they're able to give. People are accepted if they give what they're able to give. Okay? You got that in your heart? Not talking about just money there, but in your life. People are accepted if they, are, if they give what they are able to give. God does not ask for what they do not have. God does not ask for what you don't have. In other words, God will never require something of you that, that you don't have the ability to give. Is, that, is everybody with me? So, I believe that's a real principle there that we really need to build our life on. Because I think there's people in this room, all of us to some level, are trying at times to give something that God's not asked you to give. You're pushing yourself to do something that God's not asked you to do. And ultimately, if you stay on that road in your life, you will come to a dead end and you'll leave the Lord over it. I'm telling you, I've seen people leave the Lord over this issue. Okay? So I really want to address this. And I want to get rid of the attitude that's in the church that's developed in some of our hearts uh, and the spirit that attaches itself. Because it's a spirit of legalism. It's a spirit of religion that does that. So I, I've got like three things that I've found in the Scripture that really directly addresses this kind of stuff. And that's what I want to do. I want to give you those three things. And then I want to talk to you about some practical, practical application of those three things. Okay? Y'all with me? Somebody just get happy about this. <laughs> Let me read this to you. Number one, before a man can seek God, God must have sought the man. Before a man can seek God, God must have sought the man. John 6, 44. This is what Jesus said. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. In other words, this is what Jesus was saying. The, the, desire, the desire to pursue God. The desire to have a relationship with God. The desire to serve God. The desire to do anything towards God originates from God. It comes from God. It's something that God first puts in you. If you go back and study Psalm 23, which I really strongly urge you to do this, you find these words like this. He leads me. He restores me. He makes me lie down. In other words, this is what's really going on in the Christian life. This is the way it really works. Is The Lord Himself takes responsibility for your life. It starts with the Lord. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I will take responsibility for your life, and I will make your life into what I want it to be. I will take personal responsibility for you. That's what the Lord Himself said. In other words, God never pressures us to do anything. Never. 
Never. Let me just say that one more time. God never pressures any man to do anything. He never pressures any man to follow Him. There's not a have-to attitude with God. You have to do this. You have to do that. That is not God. That is not God. And what happens in churches, what happens in people's personal walk, that have-to attitude creeps in. It slips into your life. It slips into churches. It slips into ministries. And people develop this have-to mentality. I have to do this. If I don't, I'm going to be in trouble with God. I have to do this or I don't measure up. I have to serve or I'm not going to be good enough. And that's not the Lord. Let me tell you this morning, it's not the Lord. I have to be a, a leader or God's not going to be satisfied in my life. That's not the Lord. That thing is destructive. It is evil. It's from hell. And you see it? That goes on. When we do well spiritually in our life, it really has nothing to do with us, really, when it comes right down to it. It has something to do with the Lord. It has something with God doing something in your life first. And so that's a, the that's a truth I want you to get in your heart this morning. That your desire to do anything for God, if you have a true desire in your heart to serve God, if you have a desire to love God, if you have a desire to be close to God, it had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with you. God put that desire in you. A lost person can't get saved unless they first get something from God to get saved with. God comes and begins to reveal Himself to that lost person. And they begin to hunger for God. And that's how they got saved. That's how you and I got saved. Is God put something in us. God did it. He moved first. He moved first. And He always moves first. He always moves first. You with me? You sure? Number two. Turn to Acts 17. Acts 17. There is a way of serving God which insults God. There is a way of serving God which insults Him, which is insulting to Him, which He doesn't like. Okay? Acts 17. Verse 24 and verse 25. God who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, since He gives to all life, breath, and all things. God is not in need of your ministry. God is not in need of your service to Him this morning. He doesn't need it. Psalm 50, verse 12, the Lord says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine in all its fullness. See, there's this subtle attitude that creeps into us that we have to do something for God. We have to serve God because God needs it. And that takes glory away from God. That takes glory. And that insults God. And the Lord doesn't want that because you know what? The Lord doesn't need us. He doesn't need our service. He doesn't need your sacrifices. In fact, He doesn't want your sacrifices. He really doesn't. Because He knows your sacrifices and all your efforts to serve Him 
and bless Him is going to make you sick at your stomach and make you hate Him ultimately if you keep going in the direction you're going. It's going to make you spiritually tired where you just feel, I'm tired, Lord. I can't keep doing this. He doesn't need it because He owns everything. Everything was His already. This world and everything in it belongs to Him. He doesn't need our help. He really doesn't. The radical call to a self-sacrificing discipleship and holiness of life is not something we must do for God. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? The radical call to self-sacrificing discipleship and holiness of life is not something we must do for God. I want everybody in that room, everybody in this room, you hear that. One more time. The radical call to self-sacrificing discipleship and holiness of life is not something we must do for God. You hear me? It's not something you must do. It's something you get to do. That's the real attitude. See, there's people in this church who are serving God that thought they must do this. But let me tell you, today you're free. You don't have to do it anymore. You really don't have to. It'll set you free. You can resign today. You're free. That's the way it is in the kingdom of God. You're free. It's not something we have to do. You don't have to be a leader. You don't have to be a minister. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to try to reach the city. You don't have to love your neighbor. You don't have to do any of those things. It's not a have to. Your have to is destroying you. Your have to is wearing you out. Number three. Y'all with me? Think I'm preaching heresy? It's dangerous. Everybody may quit. It'd be better for you to quit than backslide. That's the truth. It'd be better for you to quit than backslide. There is a blessing in allowing God to serve you. There is a blessing in allowing God to serve you. Turn to Mark chapter 10. That's the third thing I'm telling you. Mark 10. Don't you hate the devil this morning? The devil is very vicious. I know a young man who is a very brilliant young man. I met him, talked to him one day, graduate of Davison College. You've got to be smart to even get into Davison, much less graduate from there. And this guy's life is being destroyed because of the devil. Because this boy is, or young man is learning how to chant. That's what he's doing with his life after going to Davis and spending $150,000 getting an education. Now he's learning how to chant. And he's slowly but surely dying and you don't even know it in his quest for truth. And that just really makes me sick because you really see the enemy at work in people's lives. I mean, that's an extreme case. But Mark 10, 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. That's what, that's what he's saying but to serve and to give His life a ransom for men. In other words, the Lord came to serve us. And God really is our servant. And we need to get a revelation of God being our servant. And God is our servant in this sense, that God wants to give you everything you need to live your life on this earth in a way that blesses Him, in a way that honors Him. That's how He wants to serve you. God wants to come and put in you and give you the things you need to do what He wants you to do with your life. And until God serves you, 
you will never be able to serve Him. And that's the truth. And that's the problem. Some of you, is you, you came in, God's serving you with His salvation and blessing you, but you quit letting Him serve you. Suddenly you started serving Him. Suddenly God needed you. Suddenly what you were doing became so important instead of allowing the Lord Himself to serve you. And what has happened is you've become disappointed with the Lord and you've become disillusioned with the Lord because you forgot to allow Him to do what He wants to do. Turn over to 1 Peter 4. This is the way Peter says it. Same thing in such an excellent way. 1 Peter 4. Verse 11. There's one little sentence, and I'll read the whole verse, but there's one thing I just want to point out to you. 1 Peter 4, verse 11. It says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, or if anyone serves, let him do it as with the, the ability which God supplies. I want you to stop right there. That's real clear, isn't it? If you're going to minister, you need to have the order right. You need to be ministered to. You need the power that God gives. You see, we've got it backwards. A lot of times we're ministering out of our own have to, need to, should, they want me to attitude. And we forgot to minister out of the Lord serving us with the ability to do this. And it goes on and tells you why. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, that's what happens. See, God is not going to do anything that doesn't glorify Jesus Christ. And anything we're doing that takes glory away from Him and gives us glory, God's going to resist. You hear what I'm saying? God is going to resist it. And He will start resisting you. He will start resisting us. It goes on, To whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the order is really important that we allow the Lord to serve us. That we allow the Lord to come and wash our feet. We allow the Lord to come and minister to our needs. We allow the Lord to come and speak into our lives. Otherwise, what you have to give is nothing but, I have to do this. Because this is what I'm supposed to do. Because they told me I was supposed to. They encouraged me to serve God. They told me I would be fulfilled. They told me I would be happy. They told me I'd have a destiny if I would serve God. But the problem is, is I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel like I'm walking in my destiny. Therefore, I don't like this thing about trying to serve God. It becomes too burdensome to me, too heavy to me, and it wears me out. You go on that, that little trail long enough and you, you get in big trouble. Now, turn over to 1 Corinthians. Are you all with me? 1 Corinthians. And this, is, this is how do we practically serve God, love God, as the Bible commands us to, and not get worn out? How do we practically do this? Now, I think I've given you enough information to know that something ain't working right in some people's life. So how do we go from a place of being worn out spiritually, okay, and not really having a heart for God anymore, not really wanting to serve the Lord, and barely able to get up out of the bed in the morning and talk to God, you know, don't even really want to get up out of the morning and talk to God. He's the last thing on your mind in the morning. You don't have time. And you don't have time for other things. You don't have time to bless the Lord. You don't have time to give to God. And You know, how, you know that's really the fruit of what happens to a person. 
You know, that's the fruit of what I see in a lot of people's life in this church, unfortunately, which is sad. You know, it's really sad. I've seen it in my own life at times. Well, I've got to go play on the worship team. Man, I really hate doing that. You know, I really wish I didn't have to. But I'm going to because they really need me. They don't need you. God doesn't need you. And I go up there and preach this morning because they really need me. No, no, they really don't need you. You know, God can speak to the people. Tell them exactly what He needs for them to hear. God doesn't need any ministry. God doesn't need any church. God doesn't need any individual. It's really the truth. And we need to have a revelation of that. And if you've got this attitude that God really needs you and you're having to do all this stuff and you're having to get up in the morning and pray and you're having to read the Bible, then you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're headed down the wrong path in your life. And God wants to get that attitude out of your life. He wants, you to, he wants to turn all that stuff in. I get to. I get to get up and talk to God. I get to read the Bible. I get to serve the Lord. I get to give my life to God. I get to. You know, the, I don't know if it's true. and Everybody says it's true. I've never really having seen any documented proof of this. But, you know, church history says that Peter was, was gladly crucified upside down. Didn't think himself to be worthy enough to be crucified like Jesus was. Now, that's an insane man because he felt like he could not, in his heart, be crucified like the Lord. He wasn't worthy to be crucified like the Lord. That went from a guy who denied him when a young woman challenged him. Now, that was a change of heart in his life. And I'm thinking, Lord, how do I get to that place where I could say to you, honestly, Lord, you know, uh, they're going to crucify me today and, you know... I just don't want to be crucified like you do. I'm going to tell them to, you know, do me sideways because they already Peter already got the upside down deal. And do me sideways, Lord. You know, and really mean it. Well, I think the Bible tells us how to get to that place in our heart. And I want to read 1 Corinthians 15. Chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. This is Paul. This is what he says, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I think one thing we've got to come to some truth in our life is who are you? Who, who are you? Who am I? And being satisfied with who you are in the Lord. I can't compare myself to somebody else and be satisfied with who I am in the Lord. But I've got to come to a place that I'm happy with who I am and what I am. And doing what God's called me to do and not having any excuses about it. Not having to explain to everybody why I'm doing what I'm doing. Okay? See, I don't owe everybody that explanation. I don't owe it, and you don't owe it to everybody else, your explanation of who you are in the Lord and what you are in the Lord. See, that's what you've got to come to the reality is. You've got to come to the reality, who am I in God and what has God called me to do? And that really doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. The most important thing is I understand who I am. We were over there in uh, 
Africa, there was this, this church over there. They call it the Apostolic Faith Church. It's a cult. Okay, and here's the way you can tell those people. They all wear white or red or maybe some other color clothing. These same kind of clothing. The, the men and the women both. So you'd be riding down the road and you'd see a group of women and men in these white robes and head things. And you know, at first it looked sort of impressive. Because there's all these people and you realize that these people are all together. And I feel like the Lord spoke to me and said, you know what? Uniformity is not unity. Uniformity is not unity. You see, all those people are find their identity by being just like each other. You know what I'm saying? Just like each other. But that's not real unity. And see, here's what happens in churches that go off. It's when there is a demand that we be like each other. It's the truth. You see, they're very outward over there in Africa and extreme about it. About the what you know, it was in their dress. But are we placing demands upon each other? Let me ask you, are we placing demands upon, upon each other to be something? That you have to be something to measure up to my, to my standard. Or I have to be something to measure up to your standard. Are we doing that? Are we, are we subtly and silently communicating those kinds of things? See, over there, they're real bold about it. They flat tell you, this is what you're going to wear. And if you don't come and join our church, your kids are going to get sick and die. That's what they tell people. I mean, that's, that's blatant. But I don't think we're as blatant about it. But I think we're guilty of the same sins. And I think that brings a have-to attitude into the church, into your spiritual life. And I think that's what happens with a lot of people. That's why a lot of churches go down the tubes. Because they put this have-to thing on the people. They put a yoke on the people. They put burdens on the people that they can't carry. See, I can be in unity with people and they don't even say in the same language. When we were over there, they were singing some songs in Shona in the worship which I was really able to worship the Lord with. I had no idea what they were even saying in the songs. I didn't understand any of the words. I mean, they could have been saying, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, <laughs> as far as I was concerned. But I was really able to enter into worship with them. I can be in unity with a person who's completely different from me. They don't have to sing like I sing. They can sing in another language. They don't, they don't have to be the same color as me. They don't have to dress like I dress.